So God has ordered the world so that shame has great power. And what you're ashamed of tells you a lot about what God you worship. Welcome to The Conquering Truth. I'm Dan Horn. I'm Jonathan Sides. I'm Charles Churchill. And I'm Joshua Horn. So since the fall, shame has had great power in the world. And it's it can really be used as a tool to do good things. You see it written a lot in the writings of David, in the writings of Isaiah, in the writings of, of Jeremiah. But like with any tool, like even the Word of God, Satan uses it in, a, in an evil way. Any tool can be used either for good or for evil. So, so how do we use shame, and how do we make sure we use shame in a way that it is good rather than being used for evil? Well, the first thing you have to do is you have to think about shame enough, and you have to get over the fact that you consider feeling shame to be bad. The feeling of shame is something, it's a sensation that none of us like to have. But recognize that shame can be a good thing. It can be a, a barometer for when you're straying from righteousness. It's it's one of the tools that your conscience uses, and it's one of the tools that outside influences can use on your conscience. And just recognize that it can be good. So it's the first thing you have to start with is just say, it's more than a bad feeling. It is something that God uses in the world, and God uses means to impose it on us. And I think we see it right at the beginning, right? The first time that shame comes up is right after the fall in Genesis 3, 7, and 8. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. I mean, this is... They know they're naked. They're now ashamed. They weren't ashamed before they were walking in their nakedness before God. The shame caused them to recognize they needed a covering, right? It caused them to recognize they needed the gospel, right? A type of the gospel. And so when we think about shame, I mean, it's really important to recognize that shame ties directly to the gospel. It ties directly to our need and our understanding of our need for the gospel. I mean, shame, and it's important also, shame exists because sin is in the world. And, and, and like we were talking about, it, it is good, it can be good. And we need, this is one of the things where I think people need to recognize. We talked about the law in a couple episodes in the past recently. And lo- the law was given because of transgressions. And so I mean, even the law was given because sin is in the world. Shame, is, shame exists because sin is in the world. And God has framed the world so even with the existence of sin, there are ways to constrain it. There are ways to deal with it. And we've talked about it. I mean, one of the goodnesses of God is that he's made it so... While many men will live and not be saved, they can live in the world, and they can, their evil can be constrained, and God has designed it. And sin and shame is one of the ways that God has constrained sin. I would say there's a part of it where shame is tied to, shame is so closely tied to what's right and wrong. You know, in the end, you're not, mm-hmm. sh- you, you should not be ashamed of doing what is right. You should not be ashamed of doing, you know, and there's, so it's tied to the fear of God. It's tied to fear in a sense of, of some aspect of, you know, of fear of that you've done something wrong, fear of that you're going to receive punishment from someone else, fear that you've angered. You know, I mean, so it, it's, it's very much tied in with, with fear and our understanding of what's right and wrong. And sometimes when we think of fear, we think of harsh punishment, right? We feel like, you know, you have fear of the state because you might get killed by the sword, right? I mean, that's, that's how you're supposed to fear the state. Shame is 
is one of those fears that a lot of times you don't expect it to be this dramatic thing. You expect it to be relationships to be hurt. You expect it to be people to not have as good of opinion of you as they did before. And so shame, where you have the sword and you have the rod, shame is like to deal with a lot of other sins, right? I mean, there's a lot of other sins that aren't at the point where, for an adult, that the rod should be used. But shame is a way that those sins are still constrained because everything doesn't go to the point where the state should be using the sword. Sometimes it should just use shame. And I think, you know, because there's, there's good shame and there's bad shame, which is something that I think is going to get brought out as we discuss. Because shame is, is fear that someone will know about something or, you know, just to feel bad that they know about it, whether they will or have already known about it. Um, and so... One of the questions is, who are you ashamed that they know, and why are you worried about it? You know, the, the, when you see shame in Scripture, it's often being afraid or being upset that God knows about your sin, um, mm-hmm. which is positive. If, you're, if you realize that you sinned against God and that grieves you, that's a good thing. Now, to be ashamed of uh, other people knowing about your sin— um, while that is something that can have positive impacts, often that's a outgrowth of pride. And you think that it's you need to have a good image before everyone. And so the fact that someone knows you did something wrong, that's really that's really bad. How, how could how could that, that get out about me? Um, but on the other hand, it is something that is useful because it stops a lot of people from sinning because their own pride wants to avoid the shame that would come. From, from sinning. And even when you look at a situation like that where somebody is, is shameful in the wrong sorts of ways, you know, they're not really ashamed that I've sinned. They're, they're ashamed that I've done this thing over here that somebody might find out about. Even that has an element of good to it because that's better than somebody whose conscience is just totally seared and just doesn't care and just does the thing that is objectively shameful but feels no shame towards it, doesn't care if anybody finds out. And I mean, what's really important, too, is what the standard of things that not just who we're ashamed towards but what causes us to, to be ashamed, right? I mean, it's, it's easy to be ashamed because you've allowed a standard to be set that's not a biblical standard. God has put shame in the world because when we sin, we should be ashamed, But Paul, when he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, he's saying, even though the society might say that with the gospel you should be ashamed, the answer is you shouldn't be ashamed of that. So when we feel shame, we should be going back and saying, why do we feel shame? Do we feel shame because, you know, not just who is the one that's judging us, but are we ashamed because we violated what God has commanded? Are we ashamed because we've violated the traditions of men, right? Because when Jesus Christ comes, this is what the Pharisees kept trying to shame his disciples about, is he heals somebody on the Sabbath, or him, he heals somebody on the Sabbath, and they go, why do you heal somebody on the Sabbath? And they're trying to make him ashamed of doing good. And he says, no, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. It was made to do good. It was made to show mercy. And so all of a sudden he's... You know, this is a normal thing is trying to push people to be ashamed of the wrong things. When we feel shame, the response should be, am I ashamed because of something that is in violation of what I should have done? And, and this is why the when you started off with Adam and Eve, it's really useful because Adam and Eve sin. They've just fallen. They really have fallen. 
and they're still in a state where they can be ashamed by their sin. And you see scripture talk about other points in a person, like there's the person in Proverbs that it talks about, the woman who wipes her mouth and says, I've done no wrong. You read Romans 1, where it talks about God eventually turning people over to a debased mind, where first they can see that there's enmity against them with God. They can see that they've sinned against God. And they can get to a point where they are not ashamed because God turns them over to this point. And so there's this, when you see that spectrum, it means that having shame for the right things is a responsibility. It means there is an obligation, both an individual obligation, a societal obligation, to have shame for the right things. And that you actually have to teach people, you actually have to push people and move them to get to a state where they are not ashamed of any types of sin. And that, you know, because in the right. end, God has built it so that even a fallen person in their, in, their, you know, in their fallen state, they will be ashamed of certain sins. There are sins that will cause them to feel shame. And there are sins that won't, right? I mean, one right. of the things that I think we want to talk about later in the podcast is just you have to teach your children to be ashamed of yes. things, right? Children will run around naked and think nothing of it. And most children do. Some children don't. Some children have that sense of shame of that sin, and they cover up. But as you, as we look at things, because of the fall, there are certain things that people, that certain children will still think are shameful and things that they aren't. But when we think about ourselves, we should be asking ourselves the same question. A lot of times we find shame because, you know, we do something foolish. Well, should you feel shamed if you actually did something foolish? Yes. You're supposed to take thoughts captive. You're supposed to be wise. But does it mean that, that you know, you're a terrible person? No, it means that you're a sinner. And it's to remind us that we're a sinner. It's to remind us that we need the grace of God. And it's to remind us we should stop being fools. Right. But at the same time, there's other things that we might be ashamed of where it's a serious sin or we might be ashamed of things because people are looking at us wrong. When we feel shame, we're supposed to be saying, is this a sin in God's eyes? Is this a sin in what God's commanded? Or is this just me feeling that my peers don't like it? Shame is a word that's very much associated with salvation. The psalmist says in Psalm 83, verses 16 through 18, fill their faces with shame that they may seek your name, O Lord. Let them be confounded and dismayed forever. Yes, let them be put to shame and perish that they may know that you, whose name alone is the Lord, are the most high over all the earth. Shame is part of, I mean, this is why it's kind of the first response of Adam and Eve. Because shame is how you first are confronted with God is that you have shame about your sin. Not that you have shame towards other people, but you actually have shame about your sin, and it's directly related that you know that the Lord's name is above all the names on the earth. I mean, it is about coming to the, to the realization that there is one that you have to submit to. So when we think of shame, we should recognize that in preaching the gospel and evangelizing, that one of the things you have to do is bring people to the point where they're ashamed of their sin. If all you just say is Jesus is a wonderful Savior, that doesn't save people. They have to recognize, wait a second, I have sinned against a most holy God, and it's shameful. And that's part of salvation is recognizing the shamefulness of your sin. Throughout your Bible, when you look at people that are hard to save, it's the people who are proud and lifted up, people who have stiff necks. Um, And so this is – I don't want to say shame is the same thing as humility – there's different elements to them, but this is certainly something. Maybe shame is the turning point. Shame where, is an opportunity where you stop, where you have a chance to say, "Oh, I'm proud," and it's this is 
this is what gets you turned towards humility. And the gospel is what actually gives you an answer to that shame as well. Because, you know, you hear people a lot of times saying, oh, well, I grew up Catholic, so, you know, I'm always, I'm always guilty about things. Because to some extent, the Catholic Church teaches about sin and shame and guilt, but it doesn't give the remedy for that. And the gospel says, yes, sin is real. Be ashamed of your sin, but there's also salvation for sin. And so when you repent of your sins, when Christ forgives your sins, you don't need to be ashamed of your sins anymore. So that, it, 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 it brings the shame, and then it also takes it away. And I mentioned Romans 1 earlier. I mean, but this is when you're, mm-hmm. when you're witnessing to others. Romans 1 is a really good reminder because in the end, the person you're talking to may not be ashamed of the things you want them to be ashamed of. But unless God's turned them over to a debased mind, there are things that they have shame for. And shame is a shame is sort of it's a hook. It's a thing if you can get them to recognize that it's it's what lets them know they have enmity with God. It's, this is this is part of the way that that we understand that there's enmity with God is because we feel shame for our sins. Why would we feel shame for our sins if there's no God to judge us? And so there's this part of it where there is if you can find what they have shame for and and use it to pull them towards an under a recognition. This is because they know they know that this is the cause of this. And so you fo- if you can force them to think about it, it is a good hook. It's not magic. It's not like some lever that you can always pull. But in the end, it's like you said, if you try to fish with, oh, oh Jesus Christ will make your life better, that's not what they need to understand their real need for Jesus Christ. And shame is, shame is, that, is, is frequently a way to, do, to head towards that. And shame is an impetus towards changing your behavior. And it doesn't mean that everybody will sh- change their behavior in moving towards righteousness. But it's like you talked about, that we don't like to feel ashamed. And so when we run into a situation we don't like, we respond to that. And we respond kind of you know, generally in one of two ways to shame. Either you say, forget it, I shouldn't be ashamed of this, and you harden your heart against the shame. Or you start to go, why am I doing this? I need to stop. And that's moving you towards God. And so shame is this thing that pushes you, right? Because you, we don't like to be ashamed. So it's this thing that pushes us, and it pushes us one way or the other. But it moves you. So like you were saying, with evangelism, it's a good place to poke because shame is a thing that, that moves people towards saying, hey, there is a God in heaven, or there's no God in heaven, so why am I embarrassed about that? I should just go do it more. Right. And it pushes one way or the other, but it does cause movement. What they tried to do was shame Christ, but he was obeying the Father, so he had no shame. It describes us in Isaiah 56 and 7. I gave my back to those who struck me, and my cheeks to those who plucked out the beard. I did not hide my face from shame and in spitting. For the Lord God will help me, therefore I will not be disgraced. Therefore I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I will not be ashamed. Jesus Christ, they did everything they could to shame Christ, but he knew who his judge was, which was God the Father, and he knew he didn't violate the law in any way. He completely fulfilled it. So as much as they tried to shame him, he knew he would not be ashamed. This is really key because there's this part of it where this is why peer pressure is so powerful. Why a ch- you know, if, you, if, a, if a child gets to go spend time with his friends and his friends want him to do something that would put him at odds with his parents— now he begins to, to live his life in service to their approval. And because he's living his life in service to their approval, he can do things that would have ashamed him before, 
but because he is serving their approval. And this is with Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ isn't ashamed because he's serving his father. He's doing what his father called him to do. Why should he be ashamed for doing those things? But whenever you're the one who's gone and, and participated in things that you should not have done, and when you've gone, you should have shame. And so, I mean, these things are just really key in the sense of it's, it's so, this is why it's so tied with fear. It's so tied with fears related to service, fears related to worship, fears related to who you view as being worthy of your service and that you render your service to them. And when you're rendering your service to them, you're not ashamed of it because that's where you should be. That's where you've chosen to put your, you know, to put your energy and put your effort. And so freedom, obedience to God is freedom from shame, but obedience to other people is temporary freedom from shame and it, obedience to sin can be t- you, you can temporarily be set your shame aside but what god promises is there's a day where your shame is coming there will be a day where that shame will be born and so right. you, you can either serve god and be free from shame or you can put off that shame for a period of time but then bear it fully and you can even put it off the rest of your life, right? Because right. you can actually get to the point where you're just not ashamed. I mean, you look at at the the behavior of a lot of people in Hollywood and stuff. They're just not ashamed of their behavior. They they want people to look at them. They don't care how they how much nudity they have. They don't care about. They just have no shame. I mean, you look at you look at how many stars like kill themselves through drugs and everything else. I mean, this is all, all a sign that they just have no shame about anything. They think that they're in this position where everybody will idolize them irrespective. And so they lose any sense of shame. And so they lose any constraint of their sin. But that shame will come back. I mean, because God will judge. I mean, there's a real uh, war on shame in, uh, in modern society, at least in certain types of shame. And the term that gets thrown around a lot is destigma. It's a destigmatized things, you know, destigmatize this or that. And there's some some parts of it that you know are probably are probably good. You know, if people are ashamed of like say being in a wheelchair, the destigmatize being in a wheelchair, fine, great. You know, people who were victims of a crime, and you know they. If there's people out there who are you know guilty and saying, oh, how did I let this thing happen to me when it wasn't their fault? To say destigmatize being a victim of a crime, sure. But there's a lot of other things where you did something wrong, and the answer to that is let's destigmatize that. You know, let's destigmatize having an abortion. Let's destigmatize doing things that were caused by mental illness when you still did them, and you can say mental illness, but you still did, uh, did them. And now you, and it, basically it, it gets to a certain point where it elimin- it's trying to eliminate all guilt for doing anything wrong because you have to destigmatize it, forgive yourself. And you look at, I mean, this is the purpose for the gay pride parades and everything is what we're going to do is take something that used to be called the un- unmentionable sin, right? And what we're going to do is we're going to bring it out in the middle of public. We're going to we're going to strut naked down the public square. In most of the cases, these were very, very lewd things that they were doing. And the whole point of it was to say, this is not shameful and you have to accept this is not shameful, in that there is, uh, you know, because of the power of shame, it gets attacked and people try to, because as long as you're ashamed to break the, the laws of God, to break the laws that God has even made evident to everybody in nature, that to break those, you have to really work. So they, there was a really concentrated effort to get us to the point 
where you can have homosexual marriage because how do you have sodomite marriage? Well, you first have to accept sodomy. How do you first accept sodomy? You have to get people to not just go, that's really disgusting. It takes a lot of destigmatizing it before you get to the point where you can get the society to accept it. And that was worked on for decades right. before you finally get to that point. But it was very deliberate in our culture to work on that, to destigmatize homosexuality, even though the Bible clearly says this is sin. Right. And it's one of the things that you can see. You can even see it in things like the war where people fight against abortion. There's an attempt and fight. There's this war within the, the anti-abortion group, and I think we've even talked about it, to say abortion is a sin without having any shame be on the person who wanted to get the abortion. You know what I mean? So you wanted to say, right. you know, and, and, and that's, you can't do that biblically. There is this part of it where the person who wants to kill their child, they're wanting to murder their child. And you can't remove the shame of them wanting to murder their child or else you're saying that it's not murder. And you can even see that in Scripture where when Paul, when Paul writes to Corinth and says, in your church there is someone who does what the Gentiles find shameful, that you have someone sleeping with his father's wife, and, and you are saying, and you're celebrating this. And so by their arguments of grace, they had removed what should be shameful. And Paul writes to them and go, no, this should be, you know, right. you sh- this should be shameful. And so you can even see where you can, like you said, you can take anything and pervert it and twist it. And so to the point where now the grace of God is being used as an argument to remove shame for any sin. And it's, it's not just the abortion movement. I mean, it's a result of the entire... American evangelical approach to the gospel, where you just want to say, just as I am, you know, that, and, and that's not the way, that's not the God that we serve. We serve a God who's a holy God, who says, I am like this, and you are sinners, and you can't approach me unless something happens, and the reason that you can't approach me is the same reason that Adam and Eve felt like they needed to get fig leaves to cover them. It's because of the sin of shame, but we want to talk about the gospel outside of that we want to we want to distance somebody's sin and the shamefulness of that sin take those two apart and really they need to be brought back together for anybody to feel the real effects of an actual true gospel and it's really important to recognize that i mean something that joshua said before is that in the gospel your shame is taken away and that's true in heaven when your sin is taken away but now we are still supposed to be ashamed of our sin. We're not supposed to go, oh, I can just sin now and not be shamed of it. No, because and it is really the picture of, of a parent and a child. They're still your child, but most parents use shame at times as a, as a way to train their children. They go, you should be ashamed of yourself. You're, you're 10 years old and you're doing this. Why are you doing this as a 10-year-old? You should know better. This is shameful. Right. I mean, most people that have had 10 year olds have said something like that at some point in time, because the reality is God continues to use shame. He continues to use it as he matures us until we're finally able to be in the presence of God and to be naked and not ashamed. But now we still have this body of death. So there's still shame here until this body of death is done away with. So even that picture and the problem in some gospels is they make without a shame, without shame now. And that's not until you're without sin is where you can be without shame. Right now, as long as you have sin, you're still supposed to be ashamed because you've offended a living God and a holy God. There's also particular shame attached to particular sins. Like, so like someone who had an abortion and then gets saved, they, yes. 
by and large, they don't need to be ashamed that they had an abortion before they were saved. At least they don't need to, they don't have the guilt of that on them because they repented of that. Christ takes away, you know, in glorification that that sin is completely removed. And they, and, but a sin that you are currently doing that you need to be ashamed of. But if you have repented of a sin and put it behind you, you know, you should regret it, but it's not something that is an active, shameful thing. You're going to have to figure out the difference between those cases where the deceiver is coming with you as the accuser, right. and he's accusing you of things that are covered by the blood of Jesus, instead of instead of, of cases where, hey, you're in the middle of a sin that you need some sanctification to get through, and part of the way that God may push you towards that sanctification is to cause you to feel some shame about it. I mean, one thing that that was true with the Pharisees when Christ came is they were without shame, right? Because when Christ comes, he is the Son of God. He is perfectly teaching the law of Moses, and they had no shame in confronting him. And so we should recognize, especially in church, that if there's somebody that doesn't have shame, that isn't ashamed when they do things, this is a very dangerous person. Because this is, this is somebody whose heart is very hard towards the gospel. Now, I'm not saying that they have to walk around in shame, but I'm saying if they do something wrong, how do they respond? Do they respond in shame? Because Jeremiah saw the same thing in Jeremiah 6, 13 through 15. Because from the least of them, even to the greatest of them, everyone is given to covetousness. And from the prophet, even to the priest, everyone deals falsely. They have also healed the hurt of my people slightly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. Were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? No, they were not at all ashamed, nor did they know how to blush. Therefore they shall fall among those who fall. At the time I punish them, they shall be cast down, says the Lord. Somebody who has, doesn't have shame, they have so hardened their heart against the things of God that when they sin, if they don't feel any shame, they're, they're a false prophet. They're the people that are misleading rather than leading. And I've seen people in churches like this. I've seen people in churches like this quite a bit, you know, especially going to Nigeria. There are many people in churches there that have absolutely no shame, that you can catch them stealing and they have no shame. But the same thing happens here. This is why we have these leaders that all of a sudden they have this big following and then all of a sudden they fall. It's because people caught them before. It doesn't, you know, sin doesn't spring out full grown. It's just that they weren't ashamed of it, so they didn't turn from it. They just seared their conscience more and more about it, so they just ignored it more and more and continued on. When you see somebody in the church that is not ashamed of their sin, when they're caught in sin, and I'm not saying old sin that they've repented of, but when they're active in sin and they're caught and they don't have shame, they're a very dangerous person to the church of Jesus Christ. And when you look at like the passage in Corinthians with the church there and what was going on, and you look at American culture and the view towards grace, you should expect that to be a, you should expect that to be a prevalent thing in the church today in America, that there are people who are being taught, they're being taught to be comfortable in their sin. They are taught to become hard in their sins because that's what the church is telling them. The church is telling them you should not feel shame for these things. The, the, that being saved is going out, getting filthy, soiling yourself and coming to coming to God and going change my diaper again clean me up and never maturing never growing past that and God promises he won't do that to anybody that's his right he he conforms everyone that's his he who began the process will complete it he does move us forward and does not leave us in the place that we are he doesn't keep changing the 20 year old's diaper that's not what God does 
where we distort the gospel to say, oh, yeah, we, we don't need to be ashamed of this. We can keep doing the same sin. We can keep being the dog that returns to its own vomit. And we're fine. We're in Christ. Our sins are forgiven. Right. Now, if you have no shame over your sin, you should question whether your sins are forgiven, whether you've really seen the holiness of God. Even in the Bible, you see how shame gets twisted by society. And, you know, a, a good story of this is, is Judah and Tamar. You know, Right. Judah goes in and lays with her, right? Genesis 38, 21 through 23. Then he asked the men of that place, saying, where is the harlot who was openly by the wayside? And they said, there's no harlot in this place. So he returned to Judah and said, I cannot find her. Also the men of the place said, there was no harlot in this place. Then Judah said, let her take them for himself, for herself, lest we be shamed. For I sent this young goat and you have not found her. So he's not ashamed of the fact that he committed fornication. He's not ashamed of the fact that he'd laid with a harlot, but he's ashamed of the fact that he didn't pay her the goat that he promised her. Right. And so, I mean, I think this is just such a great picture of what people are like, that they will be ashamed of things for righteous reasons. A, a workman's worthy of her hire, I guess, has fallen to this category. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> no, a, a goat. <laughs> and you do owe the debt, and you should pay your debts. But at the same time, he's not ashamed at all of having gone and laid with a harlot. Right. And so this is just what, what everybody is like to a certain extent, is that there are things that, that they have a softness to the truth, to what God expects of them. And in other areas, they have hardness. And part of sanctification is we get bigger soft areas and smaller hard areas. But it's not like we, we – you know, everybody is going, oh, I'm ashamed of all things. No, this is, you know, even the, the wicked are t- frequently ashamed of certain aspects. And culturally, you can train people to be ashamed of certain aspects. I mean, this is really a critical point to, to hit on for a little bit, because earlier, Joshua, you were talking about how there's this movement uh, against shame. You know, all, so you hear all of this language about destigmatization. Well, it's a hard word to say, <laughs> destigmatization. But recognize what's happening is you're not seeing a cultural movement to just minimize shame. What you're seeing is a cultural movement to minimize shame about the sorts of things that God has called shameful. But then you don't have a culture that all of a sudden is a shame vacuum. It's going to say, well, if those things aren't shameful anymore, there will be other things. You'll, you'll see the culture shift and say that other things are shameful. So, I mean, right now, for example, we're seeing, you know, the God would say that the all of the activity, the posturing, the lifestyle, the behavior of being transgender is shameful. You know, so that would be the objective biblical perspective towards that. Somebody who's rejecting God-given sexuality. But what you're seeing in our culture is not just saying, oh, that's, you know, let's just push down the shame on that. Also, we're going to ramp up the shame against anybody who would actually agree with what God would say about this. Right. And you're seeing this being reflected in the culture. You're seeing it. There's push for certain laws against kind, certain kinds of counseling. This is what's happening in Canada. Mm-hmm. It's an active attempt to shame anybody who would call the shameful thing shameful. It's, you know, in that case, it's a really clear reversal of. And frequently it escalates too, right? Because at first what they said is it's shameful to to do, you know, 
gender co- confusion therapy to try to get somebody to say, no, I don't want to change my gender. At first, they tried shame. And when that didn't work, they raised it to the point where they say jail, right? Yeah. I mean, they're willing to move it forward and raise it to a bigger issue. And that's frequently what happens because there is still a sense of shame because it is still against the law of God. It's still against what God has decreed in the world. And because of that, they keep escalating because it is a real battle. And the heart of the battle is they're trying to change the law. God says, this is what you should do, and they want to make it something else. And so they'll fight that, and shame is the, manu- is the, the result, it's the manifestation of them changing the law. Is they're trying to change shame to say, no, the law is, this is good, and if you say it's bad, woe to those who call you know, good evil. And that's what they're trying to do with, like, transgenderism. You call it evil, and you are evil because you're calling good evil. Oh, all the things that are at issue, it is more of a shift of the standard rather than actually minimizing shame because you take the stigma away from a certain activity and you place it on those who condemn that activity. So at a time when all these things are being destigmatized, you know, now you can be, you can be shamed faster than ever by, you know, your, your tweet going viral or whatever it might be. And you can now find yourself in the, in, in the shame camp or the, that doesn't make any sense, but you know, you, you, everyone is I mean, telling you you need to be ashamed. Sure. I, we can coin that, the shame camp. They want to put you in the shame camp. You get your shame hat on. You have to and go I mean, live and, in a shame dog And house. that's what we call council culture, right? I mean, that's, that's what it means to be canceled. Council <laughs> culture. <laughs> that's what it means. I mean, when we talk about somebody being canceled, that's what we mean is what we've decreed as a society is their behavior was so shameful, even though a lot of times it's pretty minor. But one of the things that the nature of man is, is that if he gets power to change laws, he's going to exert more and more of that power, and he's going to rejoice in that power, and he's going to be the thrill of playing God. And so they'll keep going more and more by doing these things, and it keeps escalating because that's the nature of man. That's what it means that wicked men grow worse and worse, is they're not just going to be satisfied to say, you shouldn't say this. They're going to keep trying to escalate the level of shame. And it's a part of it where we shouldn't be surprised of it another reason because everybody understands that shame and sin are connected. So the thing that should be the most shameful should be the most egregious thing. Should be, you know, the most shameful thing should be the most sinful thing. So if you say something is incredibly sinful, of course it should start to approach jail time. Of course it should start to have more severe penalties because it's incredibly sinful. Right. And you've... And Everybody instinctive, they, they know these things are connected. And this is why when you see these wars between people who say, you can't say this should be illegal, you can't say this should be illegal, the truth is, is something's going to be illegal. Something, you know, you, you, like you said, there's no passivity to it. It always, it's not just canceling one thing like you were talking about. And it's not just canceling, it's not just saying that we're going to put shame on those who speak against this. It's we're going to put shame on those who, like you said, believe those things. So you could even have a woman who wants to submit to her husband. She's not going to – let's say she's not even going to say anything against being transgender. But she's going to occupy the godly role that God has called her to be and just do that and believe that and live that life. That's going to become offensive at a certain point because in the end, even though she's not actively speaking against it, there's this – it's the antithesis – of what they're promoting, and that's sinful, and that's evil. I mean, my guess is there's a huge number of our, well, 
I don't know if there's a huge number because there's not a huge number of our listeners. But if there were a, percentage. a, a huge percentage, there you go, <laughs> of our, our listeners, are, we probably have a lot of people who are, are stay-at-home moms, homemakers, or married to them. And you realize that so much of our culture has been trying to shame that particular role in really heavy ways or in really light ways. But, but it's really hard to find a woman who at some point hasn't felt some shame about being just a homemaker. Oh, you just watch the kids. You know, I mean, that, that kind of language is intended to minimize a really lovely and beautiful thing. Right, yes. Even President Biden in his State of the Union address goes, and because of the pandemic, there's three million women who are forced to stay home rather than take care of their forced. children. We'll, we'll deliver you from that. We'll give you free child care to deliver you from that. And, and it is that very thing. He's painting something that God says is a glorious role. It is the role for a woman that, that she's most fulfilled in raising her children and paint it as something that's evil rather than something that's good. And it's it's – and again, these things, they always escalate. They always get worse. If you're going to say you can change the standard, the ch- standard doesn't change and stay in the new place. It keeps shifting. Yeah, I, and that's, I think if you want to sum it all up, it's not the case that you just get a lowering of shame. It's it's always a shame shift. It's if you're not going to call this thing shameful, well, what's where are you going to be putting that shame? Because you, you, you can't live in that kind of a vacuum. And even in Isaiah, we've we've mentioned it a couple times, but when Isaiah, when it says, woe to those who call good evil and evil good, those who call bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter, when you're thinking about that, I mean, that's what Isaiah is saying is, woe to those who do these shifts, because these shifts, people deliberately do these shifts, and they cause such misery when these shifts are happening. Because there's a lot of women who go, the only way I can be fulfilled, I'm being told by my culture, and it's shameful for me to go home and raise my children like I want to, so I'll continue to do this job that I hate rather than being with my children because it's so shameful for me to do that, and I just can't do that. And it creates misery. When you call evil good and good evil, it creates misery. They have to eat something bitter and smile. Right. And say, you know, I mean, everybody and else say, is, boy, this was sweet. Right. I mean, that's, that's exactly what they're asking them to do. I like this picture in Ezra. Because Ezra went to the king and said, yeah, our God's the God that's in control of all the earth. And then it says in Ezra 8, 21 through 23, then I proclaimed a faster at the river of Ahava that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek from him the right way for us and our little ones and all our possessions. For I was ashamed to request of the king an escort of soldiers and horsemen to help us against the enemy on the road. Because we had spoken to the king saying, the hand of our God is upon all those for good who seek him. But his power and his wrath are against all those who forsake him. So we fasted and entreated our God for this, and he answered our prayer. One thing is when you feel ashamed is sometimes you go, am I just being manipulated by the culture? Even in this case, right, he's feeling ashamed because he's thinking, oh, should I go ask for soldiers because it's dangerous to go to Jerusalem? And then he goes, no, I understand why I'm feeling ashamed. I'm feeling ashamed because I'm not trusting the Lord like I should. And so when, especially in a culture where everybody's trying to teach us to feel ashamed of things and feel ashamed of this and feel ashamed of this, we can't just either blanket, say, well, our shame, we should ignore it because we don't understand how it's against God's law, or just say, oh, yeah, we, can, we have to grasp it because we could be misled by the culture because the culture's actively working to mislead people. Instead, we actually have to be deliberate and think about it. 
why am I ashamed of this? Is it something I should be ashamed of? Because the culture will tell you to be ashamed of things that you shouldn't be ashamed of. And it will also, in times, tell you to be ashamed of things that you should be ashamed of. And so it takes an act of looking at what God has said to make sure that when we have shame, we're saying, is this something I should be ashamed of? Right. Shame is always a trigger that someone we've rendered, we're afraid that someone we've rendered our service to is going to be displeased. And so it's all, you know, there's always this connection to, are we rendering our service to the right person? I mean, and it's, I mean, I work in sales and there's times where I have to work with customers. I like people to be happy with me. I like to get along with people. There are times where you send me to say something to them that's not going to make them happy. I remember times where I would mess things up because I would want to go and overly soften it because I, you know what I mean? And, and mm-hmm. it's this, there's this shame for having to come and bear this message and this recognition of, I shouldn't be ashamed. It's not, you know what I mean? I, I should have no shame. I'm carrying your words to them. Hey, Dan's kind of a jerk. You know, <laughs> no, I'm just like, okay. I don't tell that almost ever. And so, <laughs> but I mean, but there is this, there is this part of it where it is a real signal to us that, that, you know, we're, we're concerned about displeasing someone. Who are we concerned about displeasing? Who are we concerned that we're coming afoul of? And sometimes it's a good indication that, wait a minute, I need to I need to walk into this and stop being ashamed of it. Right, and there's certainly a lot of things that the culture says to be ashamed of that you don't need, need to be ashamed of because the question is, is it sin or not, you know? Right. A lot of times there's shame in not knowing certain things, but unless it's something that you have a responsibility to know, it, you don't need to be ashamed of not knowing it. It's, it's just, you know, people don't know these things, and that's okay. So, I mean, and as we're talking about that it's a signal to you to recognize that you're afraid of displeasing someone, one of the things that it's, it's easy to be ashamed of is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul addresses this in Romans 1, 16 to 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. And so there's, I mean, it's weird that Paul even would say, why would he say, I'm not, you know, if I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ? I mean, as if someone could be, and there are, there are times where we are tempted to be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, because it is the stench of death to those who are dying. And so there's this part of it where it really, when you deal with the gospel, you have to confront the fact of, am I serving God? Am I serving myself? Am I serving culture? And it confronts you with that because you're not bringing this message to someone who goes, oh, thank you so much. I've been sitting here waiting for someone to come and tell me the gospel, to tell me that I was a fool, to tell me that I was dying, to tell me that I'm self-righteous. That's not what happens. And so, you know, it's, it's really fundamental and it's really easy to get twisted around this and find yourself serving the wrong things. And if you look at the lives of, of Paul and the apostles in the book of Acts, there's a way that you could say a lot of the episodes that happened there were attempts to shame them, sometimes successfully, over matters of the gospel. But most of the time, their reaction was, we're not going to be, you can't shame us about what Jesus did. It just doesn't work. You know, hey, it's, it's up to you. You have to decide what's right. Meantime, we're going to obey God. But they were trying to shame them about preaching the gospel. And Paul would really know this, right? Because he was persecuting people, which is like the, just like we talked about with these other things, is you start out by having shame where it's just words, and then you start to make it criminal, right? And 
that's what he did about the gospel, right? Is that, that to him, before he was saved, he at first did words, he argued with them, right? He, when he was at the synagogue of the Hellenists, he was probably doing these debates. And he moves on and he gets to the point where he's killing them. So he understands the whole point of causing people to be ashamed of the gospel. He spent, you know, potentially years doing this before God finally opened his eyes. So when he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, he's exhorting them knowing that a lot of them easily could be, because that's what he was trying to exploit before he was saved. And God kind of says the opposite, what our response is supposed to be in 1 Peter 4, 14 through 16. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part he is blasphemed, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. What we should do is recognize that we're blessed when we're being shamed for the gospel because the world will cause us or will work to make us be ashamed of the gospel. It will cause us to say, you're just following what that old book says. Why are you doing that instead of being modern and hip and doing everything that that the culture says that you should do now? How dare you say that two men shouldn't marry? How dare you say that adulterers should be put to death? How dare you say that these things are good, that clearly everybody knows that they're not? And God's response is, you're blessed when that happens. Not that you're cursed, but that you're blessed when that happens. And don't be ashamed of those things. Not just the, we want to talk about the simple gospel, but we shouldn't be ashamed of any of the gospel. Children in ways will be ashamed of things from when they're born, and other things they won't be. So what ways should we use to teach our children to be ashamed of the things that they should be ashamed of? I mean, one of the first things that come to mind is actually use your children in, in modesty and clothing. I mean, and, it's, we did and that's episode. where Genesis starts, right? right? With the first thing about shame is to cover themselves. Right. And we did a whole episode on modesty. And in there, we kind of talked about modesty actually gets confused a lot in culture because nakedness is kind of a – it's really kind of a separate issue from modesty. I mean, and God's just really – God's really, really hard on nakedness. Don't be naked. <laughs> cover your body up. And, I mean, it's a huge thing today. I mean, there's there's – there's groups that I'm involved in where there's lots of discussion about, you know, when should I stop changing in front of my children? When should I stop letting my children see me naked? And it's like, pretty much from the beginning, you should try not to be naked in front of your children. You should work very hard to not be naked in front of your children. If your children need to be in a room with you, cover your body up. You should generally cover your children's body up. And But children, you know, how you raise them in those beginning years starts to establish their attitudes towards it. They're going to come out with a you know, every child is different. Like you said, some children will be instinctively, they'll naturally be ashamed of being naked. Other children won't be. And you have to teach them and guide them and push them towards understanding that they should have their body covered. And it's something that it's it's in every, it's how you change diapers. It's how you, how you change clothes, how you, all those little things that you do that teach them what you consider to be shameful. And it's not something that people should just assume is baked into everyone. It's something that you actually have to bake in. And I think there's we we should be really careful when we start talking about practical things and methodology that the the intent here is not to it's not to mock somebody when you're when you're trying to impart shame to a child and tell them here's something you should be ashamed of and here's one of the ways not to do that is to be mocking the child. Right. 
in in that behavior. It's we're talking small children at this right. point. Right. You know, one of the things you, to you want to to get a child to the point of is to recognize the inherent shame in the thing, without adding your own, you know, making the weight of your your parental authority bear on that too by mocking and belittling. Right. In fact, belittling is very much the wrong way to go. It's more that you take it seriously. It's, you know, if, if you are much, you are not, you know, when there's a diaper being changed, no one else is in the room. We're changing the diaper. These, these are the people who can change diapers. You do it this way. You immediately get the, you know, you have a diaper ready to put on a diaper before because we don't leave ourselves uncovered. And you're talking about, we don't uncover our body. God did not design our bodies to be uncovered for everyone. Adam and Eve, they sin. They're the only two people in the face of the earth, and he covers them. And there's this part of it where— And they're husband and wife. Right. They're husband and wife. They're, they're there, and he covers them. And that's, that's, really, that's really significant. And so there's this part of it where it's not wrong for you to say you should be covered. And it's not hard for you to then teach them, hey, within, if, if they learn to live their life through obedience, it's not hard to move towards something else through obedience as you, as you discover it. But if you— if you make it about that you just do whatever you want to do and you do whatever you think or you listen to everyone else's opinion, that's where, that's where wrong shame comes in. And so teaching them that this is part of service to God, that this is part of the way that they honor God and that God has created them and that their body is, is to be covered in this way, that's really, really key and that you take it seriously. And then the reason you know, why it's not just... You know, let me mock them and then they'll understand, you know, my right. my what they need to be ashamed of is because it's actually the generally the opposite. That it's not that this is something that or it's something to say this is serious because shame is, should be tied to sin. Right. It's not some arbitrary cultural standard that you need to impose on them. It's saying this is something that's important. So the fact that you don't know this is because of sin nature. It's not because of, you know, you just need to learn the ways of modern America. It's this is wrong. And so here, let me correct it. And this is important because God says it's important. I think it's really important also to even when, again, it's to who they're serving. But God puts a father and a mother in their household as a picture of the authority of God. I mean, it is a delegated authority. And so if you're not teaching your children, you know, this is shameful. You are shaming yourself before me by behaving this way. Other people will. And when you send them to public school, public school does this all the time. And if the teachers don't do it, the other children will do it all the time. This is all the clicks in school. This is all the stuff. It's all about using shame to manipulate people. And so parents need to be saying, this is shameful. Do not do this again. Because if you just accept it, somebody else will take their sense of shame and use it to control the child. So either you're going to do it or somebody else is going to because you can't destroy the sense of shame. All you can do is kind of shift it. And because of that, we need to be very careful to make sure the child is thinking, am I shaming my parent? Am I being shameful towards my parent? Because they aren't ready to be shameful towards God. They don't have the understanding. That's what you're training them to shift to. But it starts out with training them to be, this is shameful for you to do this. I mean, when I think about my own children and think about their their different personalities and so forth, I can think of some of them that it's not really that hard to give them the sense of shame. Mm-hmm. It And what you're doing in those cases is you're, you're more focusing, hey, this thing that you're doing is shameful. And as soon as you point that out, the sense of shame strikes them. 
And, you know, and so for them, it's just itemizing the, these are the behaviors. And then, you know, and they have a very natural response. Other children, it's, it's not that their, their shame meter's not very high. <laughs> and for those children, what I'm doing, it's not just, a, oh, this thing over here, don't do that. It's, and it's really bad that you're doing that. And it's displeasing. And you need to be feeling really bad about doing that thing. Right. And if you can't be really bad in your spirit, we'll teach you with a rod how to be really sad about doing it. Right. I mean, it, it can escalate to the point where that's how you teach them shame. If they don't have a sense of shame as you go, well, you're going to get the rod for this to develop a sense of shame. I mean, and there is a place to say, you know, for a son that he's bringing a shame. You know, the Proverbs talks about, you know, a disobedient son is a shame to his mother. And it is a valid place to say you're bringing shame to this household. You're bringing shame to this family. And so that it is part of who you are joined to is determining that it's shameful. Now, it shouldn't be that you're making arbitrary rules, but there are rules that a household makes that says this is what horns do and this is the expectation of you. And it's valid to do that, to develop that sense of because this is who you are serving – this is how you will behave because you are reflecting on your master. You are reflecting on, on the head of the household. You're reflecting on your brothers and sisters. And it's, you know, but it's important, like it's been said before, to make sure you're basing your standards for shame on sin and right and wrong, not, you know, well, you didn't go to medical school, so you're a shame on the family. Instead, you went and did, you know, became a carpenter or whatever. Well, now you're, you're, you're inserting your own things that aren't, that aren't, aren't biblical into and, and making them shameful. Right, and you can shift the object to be the the family as the object of worship rather than and yeah, right. I mean you look at the Rothschilds, you look at there's some there's some, you know, families that have existed for years because that's exact or centuries that that's exactly what they do is they get it shifted so that the shame is not towards God, the shame is towards the the family and that you can't bring shame on the family. So it can go too far, but it's also a valid place because the Proverbs talk about it. The other thing that's really, really important is that you make sure that you put shame on the act of sin, not on the revealing of the sin. Yes. And I mean, that, I mean, because if your child comes to you and confesses a sin, that is not shameful. What was shameful was what they did. The shamefulness was when they sinned and them coming and revealing the sin. Well, it doesn't necessarily do away with everything. There can still be, there can very often still be real consequences from it. Revealing the sin is not shameful. And it's so easy to, like with the Rothschilds when you're talking about it, what they would consider to be shameful wasn't sin. It was people finding out that you sinned. It was the public, you know, the public revealing of it. That is the shame to them. And, and so there is this, the focus shifts from the sinful thing being the sin, the shameful thing being the sin. And so, and I think that's so easy to do. And it's and it's hard to strike the right balance, and it's so easy to cause real confusion there. And it and I've seen this frequently in churches that the shame of a girl getting pregnant isn't that she was fornicating; it's that she got pregnant right. so that it became exposed. And I've seen people deal with sin in that case, and they they look at the baby as the problem. The baby is a blessing. And part of that blessing is that the shame of fornication is exposed. 
but the church frequently looks at her getting pregnant. And while they were winking at her when they see her with this boy all the time, they just kind of went and went, oh, that's cute. But then the baby comes and it's like, you're evil. Well, no, you're winking at the fornication and you're, and you're rejecting God's mercy and revealing the sin. What was shameful was the fornication, not the baby. And, you know, this has gone back for centuries in, in Western culture of making the, you know, the woman gets pregnant and she goes off and hides and she gives the, the baby someplace, gives it up for adoption and comes back and says, oh, I was visiting relatives for three months. I mean, this is a, you know, right. and this is blaming the baby and making that the, the mercy of God in a woman becoming pregnant when she's fornicating so that the sin is exposed. That's that's God's mercy, because what's shameful is the fornication, not the baby. We've been talking about the gospel, and it's useful to, to really zero down on what the gospel has more to say about shame. Isaiah 45, verse 27, for example. But Israel shall be saved by the Lord with an everlasting salvation. You shall not be ashamed or disgraced forever and ever. And when it's talking about an everlasting salvation, you realize this is talking about the picture of what life in heaven is like, what life in the presence of God is. And, and that's the point in which there is no shame anymore. And you realize you get to that point because Jesus took all the shame on him for your sins, for the sins of all his people. And Jesus, you know, because Jesus did that, he can't be shamed himself. You know, he, he took all that shame, he took it to the grave, and he conquered it. And he conquered your shame as a result of that. And, that and, and you won't reap the fruits of that until heaven, all the fruits of it anyway. But once you're in heaven, that's what, that's what life with God is like. Is it's a life with no shame anymore. That's where the gospel ends. Right, the new heavens and the new earth where God dwells, where there is no sun, there is no moon, because God himself is the light. You know, in there, we're back to the garden where we're naked and not ashamed. There was no shame in the garden before sin. And there's no shame in the new heaven and earth after all sin is put away when Jesus Christ returns to, to defeat the last enemy, which is death. When he comes and puts that away, there is no place for shame. Everybody will be known as we are now known. Everybody will know as we are now known. Let me say that right. You know. And, and so there won't be any shame because in it, it's not that we have to be ashamed of what we did. Instead, what we'll do is we'll look back at our sins and say, look at how God's grace and mercy towards us was sufficient to overcome all those sins. So there won't be shame towards our previous sins. Instead, they'll be, they'll be glorifying God and worshiping God because our previous sins were put away from us. And hell's the opposite. Ezekiel 32, 23 through 24 her graves are set in the recesses of the pit, and her company is all around her grave, all of them slain, fallen by the sword, who causes terror in the land of the living. There is Elam and all her multitude, all around her grave, all of them slain, fallen by the sword, who has gone down uncircumcised to the lower parts of the earth, who caused their terror in the land of the living. Now they bear their shame with those who go down to the pit. All those who go down to the pit eternally bear their shame. All of them for eternity will basically experience shame because they will have bent their knee. They will have confessed with their tongue that Jesus is Lord. And they'll go, there was plenty of revelation throughout all of creation that testified to the nature of God. All of it said that I should have obeyed him. And for all eternity, they'll be ashamed of their sin. 
So when we think of the final division, it's a division between those who will have no shame for eternity and those who will be filled with shame for eternity. So in church, we've been going through Exodus, and we've been going through a lot of sacrifices. And one of the things that is kind of getting driven home is it's, you know, we think of sacrifices and we think of them as substitutes. And Jesus Christ was a substitute. But what's so easy to forget is if you don't have a substitute, you are the sacrifice. And so when you look, we've talked about the gospel, and we've talked about how Jesus Christ bore our shame. Jesus Christ was taken. He was stripped naked. He was beaten. He was abused. All these things. This is why hell is what it is. Because if you do not have Jesus Christ as your substitute, you will bear that shame. You will be the one who is tormented. You will be the one who is naked before God. And you won't be ashamed because... Other people are looking at you, though that says that we will go down and look upon the carcasses of those. Your shame will be that the, that God is looking upon you, that God is looking upon you and seeing you exactly as you are, as you are tormented for his glory for eternity. That is the shame you will bear. And and you'll know it, too. Right, right. And that's that's what causes the shame, is your full knowledge of, of what you are and what you have done. And, you know, what we're ashamed of is what God judges based on Luke nine twenty six. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and in his Father's and of the holy angels. Shame matters. If you're ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ will be ashamed of you and you will suffer shame for all eternity, along with all the other punishments of hell. God judges based on are you ashamed of Christ or not. When we think of shame in the world, it is a it is a blessing that God has created shame because it is one of the things that God prods us to move us towards Christ. When you think of this when you're ch- with your children, when you think of this with yourself, make sure that you look at shame in its proper context. The world wants you to be ashamed of all kinds of things. Make sure you're ashamed of the things that God says that you should bear shame for and repent and follow after Christ. Thank you for joining us. This has been The Conquering Truth, a project of Reformation Baptist Church. If you found this helpful, you can visit us online at theconqueringtruth.com and subscribe here or in your favorite podcast app. Thanks for watching.